Hi everyone, Erin here. So sorry to interrupt today's episode, but I have something amazing to share with you. Do you want to become a mindfulness or well-being strategist? Perhaps so. If you do, I have the exact program for you. In partnership with UPeace, United Nations Institution, we are offering a three-month training to certify people in mindfulness and well-being strategy. This is a three-month virtual program plus one-week in-person retreat in Osada, Costa Rica. This certificate is in partnership with UPeace, a United Nations international school that focuses on social innovation, entrepreneurship, and peace building. The certificate will train participants in meditation, mindfulness, coaching, positive psychology, emotional intelligence, new ways of healing, sales funnels, branding, overall modern day wellness and how you can launch and grow a business. As a graduate, you can take on one-on-one clients as a well-being strategist, offer wellness programming in corporations, schools, and more. Build your own wellness programming and learn how to attract clients and grow your business. Definitely check out The links in the footnotes would love, love, love to have you. Thanks so much for listening and hope to see you soon. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Wise Woman Podcast, featuring leading voices in 2019 supporting women to fully show up, connect to their feminine authenticity and truth. I am your host today, Stephanie Adler, founder of Bright Bean Health, supporting women pursuing optimized hormone health and a greater connection to and sense of self as a result. May this be your time to create well-being, balance, and for you to thrive. I'm super excited about today's guest, Diane Sanfilippo. She is the owner and founder of Balance Bites, a certified nutrition consultant and two-time New York Times bestselling author of Practical Paleo and the 21-Day Sugar Detox series, and is the co-author of Mediterranean Paleo Cooking. Her most recent book is Keto Quick Start, which released January 1st, 2019. She is the co-creator of the Balance Bites Masterclass, the co-host of the top-rated health podcast, the Balance, Bite po- Balance Bites Podcast, and the co-host of the upcoming entrepreneurial podcast, Driven. She is also the creator of Balance Bites Spices and Meals. Diane lives in San Francisco with her husband, Scott, and her two fur kids. Hi, Diane. Thanks so much for being here today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited. I've been a huge fan of yours for years since I first read Practical Paleo back when I was in nutrition <laughs> school. And so it feels really exciting for me to get to have this conversation with you. And well, for every- I'm glad. Yeah, yes. this is going to be fun. And for everyone else listening, I'm also on Diane's Beauty Counter team. And a huge part of what we're going to be talking today about is both of our journeys to finding clean beauty and why it's something that's so important for not just women, but for the people in our lives. So I'd love if you just wanted to like jump in and tell everyone a little bit about yourself and how you came to this career path. And Mm. yeah. Okay. Um, So my career journey has been long and windy and kind of all over the place. So I'm going to try and I'm going to try and start it. Sorry about that. I'm going to try and start it um, pretty like recently, maybe closer to when most folks who may know me just kind of out there at large, like you mentioned, practical paleo. um, That's kind of the work that I was doing that I guess, put me on the map in terms of, I don't know, public awareness, you know, (laughs) and created a sense of, wow, a lot of people know who I am, which, you know, generally walking around in the world, nobody knows who I am. But 
that's kind of the, the thing that put me on the map in that sense in the health and wellness space. So um, prior to that, prior to uh, writing nutrition books, I had been working for a long time um, in jobs that were much more like customer oriented, sales oriented, and um, studying in college, like marketing, consumer studies. And, and actually, those are all things that came really naturally to me. So I found it fun to, you know, pick those majors in college, but um, went back to school for nutrition much later in my life after working in graphic design for a really long time, back to school for nutrition. And um, eventually I did start this meal business. This was back in 2008. I did that for about six months and then realized that I, what I wanted to be doing was teaching people how to take care of themselves. And so that's really where working with clients, teaching seminars around the country at CrossFit gyms. This was back when paleo was kind of at its height, right? 2010 to 2014 was really kind of the height or 2015, kind of the height of paleo. Um, and I was teaching seminars around the country. And that's really how I grew the base of what I would call my quote, you know, following. And I don't like to call it a following, like my readers, really, people who are reading my blog, who are coming to my seminars. You know, I was in a room with folks for anywhere from three to eight hours. So that really forms a deep connection. Um, and then they might follow on social media when that became a thing because like Facebook was sort of a thing and Twitter was a thing, but Instagram didn't really exist for most of us um, until sometime in 2012 after Practical Paleo came out. So I wasn't like, posting about it. Um, and so, you know, background on that, but in terms of being an entrepreneur, I've honestly always been an entrepreneur. I've always found a way to make money doing things that I enjoy. And if I was working for somebody else, there was always a part of what I did that was oriented in sales, meaning, you know, connecting a person who has a problem or needs a solution to the solution right? Like that's just kind of always been in my nature. So whether that started out uh, when I was 16 working at the Gap or Gap Kids and helping moms find clothes for their kid that, you know, they would like and that would fit right and they could bring them home and not be worried that it would be a disaster. Um, that's kind of always been in my DNA to some degree. And, you know, running lemonade stands as a kid and when we ran out of lemonade and my friend thought that we were done, it was like, we'll just make more lemonade. <laughs> like, we're not done. That's not how this works. I'll be right back. Um, so I think part of it is, you know, if you ask my family if they're surprised at what I'm doing, you know, no, none of that. Um, but in terms of like health and wellness as well, alongside that entrepreneurial element, um, the things that I've done as an entrepreneur have obviously in the last decade or so all been tied to health and wellness. And there was a time in my life when I definitely was not feeling great. You know, there've been times where I was much heavier for being, you know, for not eating well and taking care of myself, um, but dealing with digestive issues and blood sugar issues and all of that. And so over the last decade, my entrepreneurial endeavors have really all focused on, you know, health and wellness in a balanced way so that people can, find solutions for themselves that fit into their lives. So whether it's paleo or keto or sugar-free or whatever it is, I like to be able to support people with a balanced approach and some really great solutions through my books, my programs, you know, food products that I offer, all of that. And of course, through something like Beauty Counter with safer skincare, you know, we're all looking for ways to kind of reduce toxic load. And as someone who's out there educating and providing solutions, that's why it really became, um, a platform that I felt passionate about. It's like, I didn't know that this was a problem. And so as soon as I knew it was a problem, 
I became really passionate about it. Yeah. I remember the first time I heard about Beauty Counter was actually on your podcast with Liz, the Balance Bites mm-hmm. podcast. And I was in the midst of struggling with post-birth control syndrome and had added acne for the first time in my life because mm-hmm. I'd been on birth control during mm-hmm. the time that I yeah. probably would have broken out and was so frustrated because I was doing everything right from the nutrition perspective, but I wasn't fully seeing the results of my skin. And I heard you talk about the charcoal cleansing bar and I immediately went and bought it. And that like started my journey with clean beauty and beauty counter and was so grateful to have people talking about it because it wasn't yeah. something that was being talked about in my day-to-day life with my friends. And now I've yeah. become really passionate about it too. And I think too, um, and I think this is interesting. There are parallels in every space and like the health and wellness space when it comes to nutrition, people become um, really religious or dogmatic about things where they pick a lane and then they're like, this is my thing. And I'm, you know, waving this flag and whether it's like paleo or vegan or keto, whatever it's going to be, people get really religious and dogmatic about it. And we could have taken that path, all of us who are interested in health and wellness, when we looked at our beauty products and we could have said, well, we're only going to use beauty products that are ingredients that we could buy and make it. And it's super, you know, I tongue in cheek, but I call it like the really crunchy approach. Right. And I did that for a while, you know, I used coconut oil and I used this like fermented cod liver oil balm (laughs) on my face and all kinds of things. And, you know, they were safe or safer, but were they effective? I don't know. And in terms of cosmetics, I am someone who wanted performance. Like I, I was really clenched tightly to my Mac eyeshadows and all those types of things that I really wasn't ready to give up without, you know, a solution or a different replacement that worked really well and actually performed. Like I wasn't going to put coconut oil stained with like rose petals and no problem. If you, you know, no judgment, if you want to do that and that's what works for you and that's what you need to do, do you, you know, but that wasn't what I wanted. Um, and so that's why I think the stuff with beauty counter really resonated with me because it was that kind of, um, balance between products that are safer, a company that I feel like I can really trust and, um, the performance that I wanted, not only in skincare, but in cosmetics as well. And I think even like from the, like you said, crunchier side, it can be really hard to find those those oils that work for you. And I know yeah. with me, like I would try the coconut oil and I thought it was working. And then I was seeing a lot of congestion in different areas and read this whole thing about how the pH <laughs> balance of my skin was affected by the coconut oil. And it's really similar to like shopping for products, but it can be a little bit more confusing because there isn't a label on it with like, what type of skin do you need in order to interact with that? Which is what's something that's nice about the beauty business is there's a lot of direction. Yeah. And there's, and there's so many options for people now too. It's becoming more prevalent. Like another brand that I love is primarily pure and they do a really good job of helping to direct people to, you know, products that are clean and safe and that have, um, specific uses. And it's in a totally different realm than what beauty counter is doing, but they're doing a fantastic job. And I think, you know, finding safer skincare is something that all of us can start paying attention to because, I think that most people don't know because I didn't know this. And if I didn't know it and I'm kind of in this space, I think people need to know, but most people don't realize that 
the laws that govern this industry, the personal care industry, haven't been updated since 1938, at least not in a major way. Like there have been small bills introduced um, and small bills passed, like, um, you know, little things here and there that have changed, but by and large, the laws haven't changed since 1938. And, you know, just as a reference point, the Golden Gate Bridge, I live in San Francisco, was built in 1937. Um, this is like, that's how long ago that was. It's so crazy to think it's been almost a hundred years, you know, if you think about it and tens of thousands of new chemicals have been introduced. And I literally, you know, six years ago, five years ago, before I, before I learned this, I had no idea that the FDA can't issue a recall. If there is a product that is found to be unsafe, they don't have any control over that. There's nobody that has control to say, pull it off the market. You know, this happens in food, you know, there's a E. coli breakout in lettuce or in ground beef. And, you know, the USDA can recall that, but there's no, there's no safety measure in place for us um, when it comes to personal care. And it's kind of scary, you know, so you realize crazy. that. And I'm not saying that to be alarmist, but it's like, I think a lot of people assume that there is a safety net in place or assume that if the product is on the shelf, then of course it must be safe because nobody would allow it to be there. Well, actually the laws are not that specific and they're not that rigorous and they're not strict. Um, so what's allowed to be in personal care products is honestly very, very, uh, it's the wild, wild west, basically. I mean, it is buyer beware. It's so crazy. And I remember learning how in Europe they've banned, I think it's over 1,300 mm -hmm. chemicals, of which I think we have 30 or something that are. Yeah, the US on. has um, either banned or partially restricted only about 30, or maybe now it might be closer to 40 or 50 um, chemicals that are just proven to be problematic. Um, yes, Europe, I think it's over about 1,400. And beauty counter, the way that they do it is it's over 1500 ingredients and, and it's not ingredients that wouldn't be in personal care to begin with. Like some companies will be like, well, we're banning 3,500 ingredients. And you're like, well, those ingredients would never be in personal care, but <laughs> um, really looking at ingredients that are commonly used in personal care products. And I think that that really matters. You know, I think one of the things that's happening with the internet and social media is that we have a much faster path to sharing information and to getting information, right? And so what that means is when a company's doing things poorly or wrong or that are harmful to human health or to people in general, we can share about that very quickly. I mean, remember what it was like maybe 15, 20 years ago, if there was a an E. coli outbreak in your romaine lettuce, you had to get the news from like the newspaper or the nightly news or something like that. I mean, the way that information is spread now is so different. And so the cool thing is we can hold companies accountable for what they're doing because we have this very public way of, I mean, I know it seems kind of crazy, but like kind of putting them on blast if they're not holding the standard that they say they are. Um, and I love that. And I think that the transparency, first and foremost, one of the things that Beauty Counter is trying to do is get the Personal Care Product Safety Act passed. And one of the main things that that this will actually implement is that companies will need to disclose ingredients for their products. Currently, this is not the law. You can buy personal care products without having a full disclosure of what's in them. I mean, I think that's kind of mind blowing because we would never eat something that we don't actually have a visibility to what's in it. I mean, I'm sure we go to restaurants and we don't know every ingredient. Um, 
and, but we could ask, we'd be like, what's in it, you know, or can you bring me the, the, the jar of tomato that they use or whatever it is. But when it comes to personal care, you could be using a body lotion and there's no listing of ingredients anywhere, not even on a website. So, um, first and foremost, I think the, the most important thing as consumers is that like, we deserve to know what's in our products because when we are well-informed, we can make better choices. And that's really kind of what it's all about is like, that responsibility of companies to just be like, yep, here's what's in our product. But I think it's really easy to want to not disclose that when you have something to hide. Yeah. And we both know about the fragrance loophole where Mm -hmm. even if you are disclosing your ingredients on the back and you see fragrance on there or perfume, it can actually be a blend of a bunch of other ingredients that they're not disclosing because it could be a proprietary secret. Um, Which is, you know, a lot of companies I think will say like, well, we are disclosing, but not necessarily. Right. The word fragrance can can mask a lot of ingredients. Um, and it's not just about fragrance. Um, it is just kind of that trade secret catch-all word. So for folks who are listening and like, well, what do I do? Where do I even start? You know, I just bought new makeup and I don't want to get rid of it or whatever. Um, that really is the first place to start. Like do the products you use disclose their ingredients? If they don't, I think it's definitely a red flag. If they do, the first thing I always look for to avoid is fragrance or perfume, whatever it says, you know, just if they list it in French. Um, (laughs) but that's the first thing to avoid because that, essentially, not only does it mean that it has chemicals in it. So the word chemical is really misleading because everything is a chemical, right? Like water is a chemical. But when I say chemicals, um, I'm kind of referring to synthetic and potentially dangerous chemicals. So um, the problem is it's not just about the scent because a scent isn't a bad thing, right? We can get scents from essential oils. And while essential oils have their place in some places they don't belong, it's not about the scent being the problem. It's the combination of the scent and how it's made. And if it's a synthetic, potentially harmful scent, but also the chemicals or the agents in the product that make the scent stick to your skin, those are actually really harmful for us as well. So there's a lot of different things. Like, you know how you use some of the products from a company like, let's say, Bath and Body Works that we all probably went crazy over um, 20 years ago, which maybe I'm dating myself, but um, I'm 41. So when 20 years ago, Bath and Body Works was the thing. Oh, I remember um, when that was like the cool thing to bring to yeah, camp. Yeah, like country apple body lotion. Mm-hmm. And the fact that that scent will linger, the the chemicals that are used to keep that scent stuck to your skin and lingering, those are really harmful chemicals. And so it's not just the scent itself. It's the way that these things are are kind of all manufactured. Um, it's It's really interesting. And I'm not an expert on it. You know what I mean? I'm not an expert on the chemistry of personal care products. Um, I'm just becoming more aware and more educated so that I can teach other people. And that's kind of like what you were asking about early on, you know, why I even got involved with this type of product or company is that, you know, I had this platform to be able to share information with people. And if you're listening and you're like, well, I don't have a platform. Well, you have your family, you have your friends, maybe you're a yoga teacher and you teach, you know, 10 to 20 people in a class multiple times a day. Like we all have people that we can influence. And that doesn't mean you just go around waving a flag and telling people what they're doing is wrong. But living by example is one way that we influence others and just having products that are safer and sharing them. Um, And then if you do have a larger 
quote audience or you're, you know, an instructor or health coach, or, you know, maybe you're leading, um, you're leading meditation groups and you're, instead of using something with an, a synthetic fragrance, you know, you're using something more natural. And, you know, these are all ways that we can help other people find better solutions that are healthier. Um, and I think that, you know, we don't want people to be scared of everything, right? Again, like I said, I'm not an alarmist. I don't like to use scare tactics, but what we know about our health is that the environmental toxins that we experience or come into contact with can impact our propensity for cancer. So carcinogenic materials in our environment all the time, as well as um, endocrine disruptors, things that impact our hormones. We know this is true about things like plastics specifically, and especially if they contain things like BPA or derivatives of BPA. But I think that when we just little by little reduce our exposure to those things, it can make a big difference. And ultimately we'll never know exactly what difference it makes. But I feel like if we do know better and can do a little bit better each time, even if it's just starting with, again, finding products in your house that list fragrance and swapping them out for products that don't, even dish soap, things like that. Um, and starting with something like a, a lip product, because you're going to be basically eating that. <laughs> so, you know, things that stay on your skin the longest and something that you might ingest those are two things that you can really start with to kind of make some small changes. Yeah. And I, I just want to circle back to it because this has come up with me and my family where I've told them this statistic about Europe and they're like, well, I use European products, so it's mm -hmm. okay. And then I recently learned that they actually don't, they like make a separate formula for the oh, US, yeah. which is so crazy. So just because you're using a European product doesn't necessarily right. mean it's safe. Well, and that's the crazy part is that it's obvious and it's known that these products can be made without those ingredients. It's just obviously more expensive. So if the laws don't require it, they're not going to do it. So we're, we're trying to get to the point where the laws do require it. What would you say to, I, I recently was home and I said, and I like find it very triggering when I'm around people that I love a lot and they don't seem to be either open to learning this mm -hmm. about their personal care products or maybe even like resistant or hesitant to it. And I'm sure a lot of folks are listening or maybe already on the clean beauty train and don't know how to start sharing it or like telling their friends and family about it in a loving way. What would you say to them? Um, I actually don't really approach friends and family about it. Like really, I just kind of live what I'm doing and let them ask questions or I gift them products. Um, because I mean, who's going to argue with something that they didn't have to pay for and then let them try it and see what they think. So I think for a lot of people, it's actually, it's actually better not to be, I think the expression is like a prophet in your own town. So this was true when I was teaching about paleo, for example, you know, 10 years ago, you can't just like storm into your house and be like, you need to do this. And change everything. And I know what's right. And I know better. You kind of can't do that because the people who've known you the longest, they know where you come from. They know what you used to do. And it's really hard for them to believe you. So you're actually much better off um, teaching strangers and educating strangers. And then eventually when you're committed and spend a long time doing what you're doing, um, open-minded growth oriented people will come around when the time is right. Unfortunately, sometimes the time is 
when they experience a heavy metal toxicity or they are dealing with infertility or cancer or something that really wakes them up to the fact that, okay, maybe I shouldn't be using these products because whatever it's can, everything contributes to, you know, what's happening in our bodies. Um, but I really I actually don't think that it's our jobs to convince anyone of anything. And I think if someone is not open-minded, then it's very, uh, it's stressful and unfortunately not worth our time to try to quote, convince people of things. That being said, I know it's the hardest because we want our moms using products that are safer. Like you don't want your mom. So that's where I say, just throw money at it. Like don't argue, save up some money and then just gift her some products. If that's the case, you know, mom, can you just try this one lipstick? Like humor me, that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Um, I don't otherwise. And if someone's like, no, I'm not even interested. It's painful. Like it's really painful, especially, you know, if somebody's eating like fast food every day and they tell you that they're not interested in hearing about something that's healthier. I think it's painful for us because we feel like it's a reflection of they don't care to live longer. They don't care about being healthy and we're, we feel personally affected by that, but we just have to remember that we cannot change other people. We can only change ourselves, um, but we can influence other people and living in a certain way, making choices a certain way. And like I said, being consistent with that is going to have the most impact. Like if you decide you're using cleaner, safer, you know, beauty products, or maybe you sign up and you're a consultant or whatever it is. And then six months or a year later, you're not doing that thing anymore. That's the message that it sends to other people. Is that like, well, I only cared about that for a short amount of time because X, Y, Z, or because someone's trying to like make a fast buck. Nobody wants to Nobody wants to just buy into it because it's, you know, they think that you're just trying to make a fast buck or something like that. Um, but if you really do care about it, then you're consistent and you stay with it. And eventually I think that's what sends the message over time. Something I've loved so much about being on a beauty counter team is having that community of people who really deeply care about this mission. And as a solo entrepreneur and a lot of the work that I do is, I mean, I talk to clients and I lead workshops, but it's it's a lot of focused from me. And I spend a lot of time alone on my computer brainstorming things. And it's been really nurturing, I think, to feel like held in a community and, and be on a team in that way, especially with people who share values with me. Um, and I'm curious, like what the experience for has been like for you also in a lot of the, like writing books, for example, is a very solo mm -hmm. job and how that's been leading a team with Beauty Counter. Um, the thing that I found most rewarding or fulfilling is actually being able to provide support and mentorship and business coaching, because I have a handful of peers who I talk to all the time and support me, um, whether it's in this business or another business, and definitely a couple who, you know, work in the beauty counter side of things, as well as in other businesses I'm in and who are fellow authors and all of that. Um, so I do feel like I have a community in that way. Um, but in terms of the community of what's happening with um, my beauty counter team, it's really much more and the mentorship side of things. So I love being able to share ideas, share best practices, tips, advice, all of that. Um, but, you know, just sharing it with my friends who are not asking for it is not exactly the best approach. So being able to share it with a team of women who are looking to grow a business, who are really motivated and want to keep moving forward with what they're doing, um, that has been fun and rewarding. 
And it's nice to be able to offer that without having them pay for it because a lot of people really, you know, they don't have the money for the business coaching that I might offer, which I don't offer right now, but I have at varying points in time. And being able to help them knowing that in some small way, it's going to trickle up to me at some point. I don't know. It's like, there's no direct correlation of like, I help you. It makes X amount of dollars for anyone. But I think that just knowing that kind of it's helping to grow the business at large, um, I can feel comfortable sharing my time and my expertise and all of that. And it's fun. I mean, it's really fun to watch someone build a business and have fun with products and feel good about what they're doing um, and have some success. And yeah, I don't know. It's just, as, and as you know, as a health coach, um, unfortunately, sometimes it's actually a lot easier for your clients to buy some products that are safer than it is for them to change their habits of how they exercise or how they eat or how they sleep. But I think a lot of people underestimate other people's willingness to buy products that are just a better solution, right? I mean, we see it with healthy food products all the time. Everybody wants to buy a healthier version of a potato chip, you know, or a healthier version of something else. So um, it is really nice to be able to offer guidance to a lot of health coaches who are a lot of what's on our team. It's not all health coaches, but I would say like 20 to 30% of the women on our team are health coaches um, in some way. So that, you know, it's cool. It's really fun to be able to support them. Yeah. And it's been fun to be in a, that community, like I said, where there are a lot of other people who are doing similar work to me outside of the right. beauty space, which has been really fun. Yeah. It's awesome. I have a question for you about any unique challenges that you've experienced as a female entrepreneur. I know there's a lot of ladies listening who are either starting their own businesses or have their own businesses. And as women in the world, I think we show up a little bit differently in business. And I'm curious if you have any advice based on some of the challenges you've faced. That's a really interesting question. And I'm sure that many women will share a lot of challenges that have come up that they feel are based on being a woman. I really can't think of anything that I can pinpoint and say, I think this happened and this was something i ran up against as a challenge because I'm a woman. Like, I just don't think that that's happened. Um, it could be the spaces that I've been in, you know, being in the health space, it's, it's very much a female oriented or female driven space. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know that I've seen that so much as challenges. I've definitely seen some, uh, male sort of figures in the health space who seem to, root themselves and become experts more quickly. Maybe they just have this air of uh, confidence or creating clout for themselves quickly that I'm like, I'm not sure what that's founded on for all of them. You know, some of them, yes, but I don't know. I really, I can't say that there's something where I'm like, well, because I'm a woman, I think this was harder. I just, it's not something that I, <laughs> that I really connect with. That's great. Yeah. So for people listening who maybe want to start a side hustle or start a business, what advice do you have to them for jumping in? Um, you've got to be really passionate about whatever that thing is that you're doing, because if you're starting a business and you're not super passionate about it, if you're just doing it because you think that 
you know, again, you can make a quick buck or something like that. Um, ultimately, I think that that is a fast track for failure. Um, so I think the passion is really important. Um, I think you have to be ready to work hard. I think a lot of people see other people's success in all different types of industries and don't realize that it took them a decade to get there or much longer, depending on what was happening behind the scenes. So it, it does take a lot of hard work and it takes a lot of patience and that kind of goes alongside the hard work. But again, expecting something to happen overnight, it's just totally unrealistic. So that's where the passion comes back in, right? Like if you're passionate about it, you're going to work on it. I work on my business any or all hours of the day. That doesn't mean I don't take breaks. It doesn't mean I don't take days off, but I, this is not like a nine to five thing. You know, it's my business is something that I'm passionate about. You know, every arm of my businesses are things I'm passionate about. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at. Like you don't just start a side hustle just to make money. You have to be really interested in the thing because otherwise, why would you do more work? just to make money. If you're just doing it to make money, then ultimately it will fail at some point. Like it just will, because you'll bail out. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of. Yeah. Without the authenticity and the intention, it just, it won't land, I think for sure. Yeah. Because you won't, you won't stay committed you know, because your why or like the reason why you're doing it, like you said, you know, the, the intention is just off and <laughs> the universe knows when the intention is off, you know what I mean? So you have to do things for the right reason. Why you mentioned, you know, taking breaks and vacations, but how do you find balance on the day to day? What are your practices? Um, I think the biggest thing that I do for balance is I really pay attention to my energy and when I'm kind of in a flow state of, okay, I've got energy, I'm crushing my to-do list, I'm crossing these tasks off, et cetera, I really go with it. And when I'm not feeling it and I'm just tired or my brain is just not like locking in to the thing I need to focus on, then I, I rest you know, or I zone out with a Bravo show or, you know, do something really mindless um, so that I can just relax. Because I know that when I'm in a go state, I can accomplish a lot in a very short amount of time. And I think, I think this is a topic that's coming up in a lot of books and podcasts and things like that recently, is that we, we really only have a few functional, or I should say productive hours in a day, no matter what. So if you think that you're going to spend eight hours actually intensely thinking and working, it's totally unrealistic. Like the amount of time, <laughs> and I think about office space where he's like, in a given week, I probably do 15 minutes of real actual work, which <laughs> that's, a, that's <laughs> a little bit of a an under understatement, overstatement. But um, in a given day, I can probably do three solid good hours in total of actual work. Like if you really add up the, the time that I am working, um, it might be three hours. And I think if everyone were honest with themselves, that's probably pretty true, you know, maybe four some days, maybe two some days. Um, 
So I think that that's what it is for me and, and really creating boundaries and saying no to things that I don't want to do, or I don't have time to do, or I don't think I'll have the energy to do. Um, and I think that's something that's really hard for a lot of people is saying no to things. They are worried that someone will not like them as a result. And I'm just, I don't, I don't feel that way. I'm like, if someone doesn't like me because I said no to that thing, you know, that's a bigger problem than I can really solve. Absolutely. And I see you on social media, which everyone should go follow Diane. She has really amazing content and she really uses her platform for advocacy and uses her voice, which I so appreciate and think is so wonderful in today's day and age. And you talk a lot about, I might say this wrong, and enneagrams, anagrams, <laughs> enneagrams, enneagrams. Can you just share a little bit about that? Because you, I feel like it, it's really interesting. I see a lot of people posting about it now and it's it's really gained popularity in the last year, but it's a framework that's been around for a very long time. People might be familiar with the Myers-Briggs personality test, um, but the Enneagram is a, a nine type personality typing framework. Um, and it's, I mean, it's very, it's very old, um, but it's really interesting. And once you learn about it, once you learn what your type is, you can really find out how to sort of master yourself a little bit better because especially I like the website enneagraminstitute.com. Um, you can read about what a healthy version of your personality type looks like and what an unhealthy version looks like. And it's very interesting to read those and be like, yep, this was me X number of years ago, or, you know, when I'm stressed or whatever. And find out where you are in that path of, you know, getting to a healthier place for the type of personality that you have, because being a healthy version of your personality doesn't mean we all are the same. You know what I mean? Like a healthy version of a type eight, which is the type that I am, is not the same as a healthy version of a type one or type three. Like we have different things that we kind of battle and struggle with. Um, but I do think it's really fascinating. And I, I think that uh, when it comes to like personal growth and just becoming a better version of ourselves, better entrepreneurs, better uh, wives or husbands or sisters or brothers or friends. Knowing yourself better is definitely critical because if you can't be self-aware, you can't improve. And I think that that's kind of like the key to all of those elements, whether it's like entrepreneurship or, you know, creating better habits or whatever it is. Thank you so much. I am looking forward to taking that test. I've done a bunch of the other ones and I always find them interesting, but I've been seeing so much mm -hmm. on social media about it. And I didn't know the thing about the healthy versus non-healthy yeah. version of yourself. Enneagram Institute has that information and it is really interesting to read. And sometimes you can read the type description and be like, this is me. And sometimes you're like, I can't really tell. Um, <laughs> And there are several types that tend to not be able to tell. Like when I read what it says about type eight, I'm like, I did not need to take a test. I can tell that is me. Um, but I recommend taking a test. Yeah. Just to be sure. Yeah. Great. So I have two final questions for okay. you. The first one is what's your favorite beauty counter product right now? <laughs> um, right now, probably uh -huh, the cleansing balm. Um, I really like the cleansing balm. It's, it uses the oil cleansing method and it's something that starts out as a solid and becomes softer as you like rub it into your skin. And yeah, I really love the cleansing balm. Me too. I have the travel size and I've been taking it and using it as a mask when I fly and mm. I'm so moisturized when I get I love on the that. plane. It's great. 
And then the last question is, if you had the ears of all the women in the world to hear one message from you, what would it be? No pressure. <laughs> Just putting on the spot here. Yeah. Um, I think my, my big message would be to tune in to what it is that you want to be doing with your life and do your best to drown out the voices of people who want to detract from that because for the most part, the detractors are probably not doing what they want to do slash great, amazing things with their lives. Um, and I think that far too many women get caught up in worrying what other people think of them and spend decades not living a life that they want to live and grow really resentful and, um, you know, look back on their lives and feel like they weren't doing what they wanted to do and then have this like major kind of rebellion later in life. Um, and, and are angry about it. And I'm like, well, this whole time you could have been doing something different. So it does require a bit of fortitude and making different decisions, but I just want everyone to know that you have choices. Like you, you always have choices. So choose, choose with integrity and, um, authentically to who you are. Mm, I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you. If anyone wants to learn more about clean beauty, you can reach out to me or to Diane at Beauty Counter at Balanced Bites. We'll link everything in the show notes. Please comment below your thoughts about this podcast, maybe what your favorite clean beauty product is right now. And as always, or what your Enneagram type is. <laughs> <laughs> and as always with podcasts, we need high ratings, subscribers, and comments to receive good standing and to continue sharing wise words with women around the globe. So please comment, subscribe, and rate us. We love hearing from you. Big love and looking forward to chatting again next week. Thanks so much, Diane. Thanks for having me.